Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silber, and today's guest is Mari Lee. Now, Mari is a licensed marriage and family therapist, a certified sex addiction therapist, and the founder of Growth Counseling in Glendora, California. Mari is also the co-founder of the Shine Women's Retreat in Laguna Beach that's taking place September 27th. Through 29th. She's a popular national speaker on betrayal trauma and a respected author of multiple books, including Healing from Betrayal and Facing Heartbreak, Step to Recover for Partners of Sex Addicts. Her next book, The Gift in the Wound, will be out in 2020. In addition, Mari is a trusted business coach to therapists around the world. You can learn more about Mari's services and support at growthcounselingservices.com and thecounselorscoach.com and Shine Retreat for Women. And you're about to meet an amazing therapist who specializes in helping the betrayed women of sex addicts. Betrayal is painful enough. This extra layer can make it especially painful. But my next guest, Mari Lee, will share her wisdom and insight around what to do to heal. This episode is filled with information as well as hope. So be sure to listen closely. You're not going to want to miss a word of it. Here we go. Okay, everybody. So I have Mari Lee here today. And I have to tell you, we spoke just so briefly and I purposely stopped uh, our chat because I had a feeling she was just going to say the most wonderful things that I wanted to make sure I captured them for you. So (laughs) before we even got started, uh, I just, you know, there was so much I knew you had to share and I'm just so grateful that you're with us. So welcome, Mari Lee. Oh, thank you so much, Debbie. I am so pleased to be here and such an honor to be on your show and supporting the great work you're doing in the world. Oh, thank you so much. So let's just get started because you focus on betrayal as well. I mean, along with so many other topics, but of course the show is from betrayal to breakthrough and we help people heal from betrayal or whether it's a powerful story or, or just a modality that helps people to heal. So how did, how did this topic find its way to you? Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Um, Well, this is hearkening back a while ago. I'll be 57 uh, years young this summer. Mm -hmm. And this was back when I was in grad school in my psychology program. And I was looking for a thesis topic. And because I am a former foster care kid, I thought maybe I would do it on resiliency and foster care. But during the time that I was working with my thesis advisor, found out that my significant other, somebody that I was very much in love with, was um, profoundly addicted to internet pornography. And I am certainly no prude, but pornography was not really a part of my life. Uh, I certainly don't support that industry just because of human sexual trafficking. And really, it was the gaslighting and the secrecy and the staggered disclosure that was the most devastating for me. So I thought, you know what? There have to be other women out there. Again, Debbie, this is hearkening back a while ago Mm -hmm. before even the terminology sex addiction or porn addiction was a really, was part of our mainstream um, vernacular, right? And Mm -hmm. so I thought, you know, I'm going to find the research. There really wasn't a lot of research back then. And so I thought, well, then I'm going to create the research. Um, And so that's what I did. I spent a year and a half um, finding out how uh, betrayal, especially betrayal around pornography addiction and affairs, impacts uh, females. And it was fascinating. And I went on to specialize in that in my clinical And you know what? But 
before mm-hmm. I we even go forward, can you share some of the things that you found? How does it affect women? And and I and I know when you say you were doing the research for it, I never knew how hard a dissertation was until I did one. So first of all, yeah. I so appreciate the work that you did, and and it's it's an intense amount of research. And and I would love to know some of some of what you found. I mean, how does it affect women? Oh, great. Yeah, thank you. It's a great question. So, yeah, there's a a lot of commonalities. When we think about um, one of the things that I thought was really interesting, Debbie, was the the way that this particular type of uh, trauma impacts women, specifically who are dealing with betrayal, versus, let's say, a woman who feels betrayed or neglected by a spouse who's dealing with alcoholism or drug addiction. Mm -hmm. Now, that is certainly not to minimize that woman's pain. Um, That woman is also dealing with trauma and pain, being in a relationship with that particular type of addict. But when we talk about my specialization, which is working with sex addicts and their betrayed partners, uh, we're talking about a different level of trauma because a bottle of vodka, for example, doesn't have a penis or breasts or a vagina. Mm-hmm. So women felt this type of betrayal into the core of who they were, their self-worth, their lovability, their attractiveness, their worthiness, and their value. There, it felt like the common denominator that I would, um, when I was interviewing women, was this level of of pain that am I not good enough? You know, am I not um, worth loving? What is wrong with me? A a certain level of self-comparison. And the other piece of it was the staggered disclosure, the promises that no, this only happened once or it will never happen again, or um, the gaslighting, the the traumatic injury to the woman's psyche, to her own intuition, uh, around um, the the, con- the constant denial, denying her reality. So, the um, traumatic effect is quite profound for, um, you know, for women mm-hmm. who have experienced betrayal trauma. You know, and I remember doing my research. I remember reading one study, and it was just really showing such a high percentage of women experience, experiencing a PTSD symptoms with this particular type of trauma. And also it, it seemed like they had uh, a lot a lot of their trauma also stemmed from childhood. They, did you find that maybe there was more, um, whatever the situation was in childhood, something that made them maybe more likely to, to marry someone like this or did you find anything like that in your yeah, research? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, with some of the with some of the participants that I researched and interviewed, yes, that was the case. But the thing to remember is even if there is that family of origin um, pre-existing trauma and for a lot of these women, myself including there there was and is, we want to think also about the um, betrayal-induced trauma, right? The the trauma that was introduced into the relationship. Mm-hmm. So what I really try and help women understand that even if you did have pre-existing trauma um, that set you up, you know, in a way, you know what I mean, Debbie, mm-hmm. for, uh, made you more vulnerable to get into a relationship with somebody who is not healthy or being honest or truthful or was deceitful with you, <clears throat> or there was, a, you know, a man of sexual betrayal, it doesn't 
discount, you know, the very real betrayal that you have felt in that relationship. Mm, So sometimes what will happen is one will say, well, maybe it's, I was damaged somehow. And it was, you know, my fault because I had all of this unresolved trauma from my family of origin. And somehow, you know, she believes this or her betraying partner has gaslit her into believing that somehow she's responsible for this. doesn't matter if there was previous uh, trauma in that woman's life. Whatever was introduced into the relationship is, you know, is important to look at as well. But yes, I think there's a vulnerability for women who have that pre-existing trauma. I know certainly there was for me. I I dealt with a lot of um, overcompensating. I misunderstood intensity for true intimacy. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there was a lot of caretaking in relationships that I had been in and, and I had to, you know, unpack a lot of that and heal a lot of that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now, so someone's been betrayed. There's so much trauma there. There just every aspect of the self seems to have been destroyed. You know, it's the worthiness, confidence, this profound sense of rejection, abandonment, trust. I mean, it's all, it's all shattered. How does self-care come into the picture and where do you introduce it? Yeah. Well, again, depending on the level of trauma that that woman has experienced in her life, right? Um, she may not really understand what self-care means. Self-care to her might mean being completely selfless and taking care of everyone but herself. Mm -hmm. If there's um, some sort of spiritual aspect to that, that perhaps her religion tells her that, you know, that is how you should be. You should take care of everybody, put everybody's needs above yourself, forgive everyone, you know, forgive your cheating spouse, um, you know, put his needs Uh, above your own, whatever, you know, the unique qualities that weave together to make up that woman's psyche, I take a look at that. And so, first of all, I want to know what self-care means to her. You know, how does she hold the idea of self-care? Does that seem selfish to her? And secondly, I want to know ways that she's taking care of herself right now. So for some women, self-care really has become about soothing in ways that are not healthy or taking care of herself. That might be soothing with food or soothing with shopping or soothing in some other way that is now, um, you know, tilting over to the unhealthy side of things. Mm -hmm. So really getting in there and discussing with women self-care and helping them move that needle of hypervigilance, right, Debbie, that sets Mm -hmm. up in that woman where we become really hypervigilant about the addict, what he's doing, um, you know, to avoid being hurt, what we call these safety-seeking behaviors Mm -hmm. that might look like snooping or interrogating or whatever it is to protect Mm -hmm. herself from further hurt. We're trying to really help that woman understand that the more she can begin to invest in her own self-care, whether that be through, you know, therapy or a women's group or a a retreat or reading or whatever that is, Mm -hmm. that that is important and and wise. So I like to bring on the idea of self-care fairly early on in the clinical relationship with the the betrayed partner, understanding again that that woman may not have an inkling about really what that means. This may be a very new concept to her. Mm. I love that you're bringing that up because it's so true. Self-care to one person can be an entirely different 
thing to someone else. And and the idea of self-care may be so in their mind, just, you know, they may be so confused around the idea. What do you, so let's just, let's just deal with, I want to bring this up a little bit because I remember this came up in, in my study where there was so much, there's so much shame, there's so much guilt. um, And religion had a big role in this where let's say they, their husbands had an affair, but because of their religion, let's say they they were they would be ostracized or criticized for getting out of the relationship. Have you worked with somebody like that? And and what do you how do you handle that? Mm-hmm. Yes, I work with quite a few women like this over the years. Oh gosh, you know, a couple hundred at least, mm-hmm. and um, that brings in a whole new layer of self doubt. And you you touched on the word shame, which I think is really important. And when I discuss shame with women, sometimes women will bristle and say, you know, Mari, I don't have anything to be ashamed about. Why would I be the person who's feeling an amount of shame? This is on him. Mm-hmm. And while that's true, there can be little covert pieces of shame hanging out inside of that woman. Maybe she's ashamed to have anybody find out that this is going on in the marriage, especially women of, women of faith, whatever that faith is, be it Christian, Catholic, Mormon, um, Jewish faith, you know, Jehovah's Witness, whatever it is, there's this sort of don't ask, don't tell in many of these um, religious um, um, systems where, you know, you need to stand by your man and we don't discuss our dirty laundry and you just need to pray for him Mm -hmm. and not judge him and understand this is every man's battle and you need to be a good and faithful wife. And, you know, it's tricky getting in there and deconstructing some of that um, with the woman because those kinds of... um, what I really think is sort of legalistic religious beliefs can run really deep in that woman. And so challenging that can be um, a very sensitive area. And we therapists want to be very sensitive to that because a woman's faith can also be a very powerful way to help her heal and of course, explore self-care and whether or not she chooses to stay in the marriage. But for some women, you know, I've heard so many times in sessions, Debbie, that God hates divorce. And I'm doing my air quotes right now. God mm-hmm. hates divorce. And so one of the ways that I challenge that mindset is, okay, I understand that that's your belief system. But if your husband has already already broken that marital covenant, and that's part of your religious belief, you know, and this feels destructive to you or abusive to you or abandoning to you, what does your faith say about that? Can we talk about that? Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to convince you one way or the other. I'm actually a woman of faith myself, Debbie, but, but can we, can we explore that a little bit? And that can be scary for some women to even dive into that, Mm -hmm. you know, but it's an, it's an important place to go. And I see, I can I can see that because then they start questioning everything they've learned throughout the years. And it's interesting because in my study I found that that was the group, the ones who where the betrayer really had no consequences, and they stayed out of whether it was out of religion or out of fear or uh, whatever the reason was. That was actually the most sick group, mm-hmm. physically sick group out of everybody, and it was living with such pain 
and and yeah. with something that just seems so wrong and they were trying to accept it or make it work or make it make it okay somehow and the body just doesn't wasn't willing to and it seemed like that was a really hard one to take well it's that cognitive dissonance right and it's also this idea it's so interesting that we're talking about this because one of my colleagues on Facebook today uh, posted a question about what has um something about what has your religion told you um, about what are some of the myths that your religion has told you about going to therapy? And I thought it was such a great Mm. question, right? And it was so interesting to read the various responses from people that said, well, you know, if you if you have enough faith, then God will heal you. You can pray away your anxiety or mental illness. To be mentally ill means that you don't believe in God enough. Like all of these myths wow. that are so damaging to human beings, right? And so it's the same type of thing with women of faith. Again, I am one who have been betrayed by their significant other, and all of this information, these messages that we hear that have so much mistruth to them, you know, that we really do need to challenge and show up for ourselves. And and how do we do that? It can feel very scary. And I agree 100% with what you said about the idea of consequences. What I have found is that um, women of faith, particular women of faith, uh, especially sort of that fundamentalist faith, men will say, well, I'm not going to a therapist. I don't trust therapy. They're of the the devil, you know, it's from the enemy. If the therapist isn't a Christian, we can't believe them. We can get healed within the church. And it becomes this closed system that becomes sicker and more stuck in gear. And the woman begins to feel this level of depression that even God has abandoned her now. It's, it's you know, very, very troubling. And then just to compound it even more, if let's say that therapist, that psychologist, psychiatrist isn't well-versed in narcissism or gaslighting and things like that, the the betrayed person can feel like he or she is crazy because they're not getting the validation or maybe the acknowledgement that they need. Or even, exactly, or even the psychoeducation about, you know, what are the criteria for narcissism? What What is you know, what are some comorbid or pre-existing conditions? So sometimes when I'm working with somebody who comes in and self-identifies as a sex addict, or maybe they're sort of, quote, spouse mandated to go to therapy, and his wife has diagnosed him, right, (laughs) as a sex addict. But really what I'm dealing with there is a person who has OCD. And so they're in a process of collecting porn because they're trying to soothe anxiety, or they're in a process of Um, chronic masturbation because of an anxiety disorder. It has very little to do with an actual, with actual out of control or compulsive sexual, um, you know, a disorder and more to do with some other co-morbid or co-existing clinical condition that we need to treat. So, and I want to stop you there. That's so interesting. So how do you determine which, which one it is, if it's one or the other? Right. Well, there's a, you know, a, a very formal and thorough assessment process. So as therapists, we have what's called a biopsychosocial assessment process where we go through and there are questions and, and, and so forth and assessment that we go through without going into all that detail. And then as a sex addiction therapist, what I'm certified in, as well as my clinical license, uh, we have a rigorous process of 
um, what's called the sexual dependency inventory. And it's a um, it's you know quite clinical and in, in, in nature, so I won't go into all of that. But it's a rigorous process of taking the um, the present the client with whatever they're presenting through that, and then depending on the results and the outcome of that uh, particular uh, instrument, then we can take a look and graph out and see where that person is falling. But even with that instrument in place, and even with a biopsychosocial assessment, through that, I'm always looking at what else is pre-existing for that person. Because underneath any addiction, any type of acting out behavior, there's always trauma, Debbie. So trauma is always informing the behavior of these men that I work with, this unresolved trauma, mm-hmm. along with, you know, could be, you know, something else that is also informing the sexual behavior. And again, this isn't an excuse for these men, but we want to make sure that we are treating what is at the root of the behavior. And if it's an anxiety disorder, for example, OCD, and we're treating that person for out-of-control sexual behavior, then we are not addressing a pre-existing condition. And it's like, you know, going in because you have a pain in your in your spine mm-hmm. and the doctor is checking your eyes and saying you're okay. You know, okay, but we, we need to address, you know, what this pre-existing condition is. Mm. So there's a, you know, very lengthy assessment process that we go through. And then, of course, there's a very specific um, treatment plan that goes along with, with people who are compulsively acting out sexually. Right. So Mari, if you could, could you walk us through, let's say a couple comes to you, um, there, she's traumatized. He's acted out. Let's just say it, they, they come to you. Tell us the process. What, what happens and what's, how likely is it that they can heal? Well, first of all, I'd like to offer, start this off with some hope, a hopeful thing. It's very mm-hmm. likely that they can heal as long as both people are willing to do the work. You know, if one person is not willing to do the work, then it doesn't mean that the partner can't heal. You know, it just means that um, if the relationship has, it will heal. It, it really depends on both people being willing. She can't do all the healing work for both of them. And, uh, you know, and conversely, he, the addict, can't do all the healing work either if he's willing to do the work, but she's saying, well, he's the one with the problem. I don't need to go to therapy. Why should I have to do that? And she's not treating her trauma. And as we talked about earlier, um, her pre-existing trauma, if there's pre-existing trauma there. And I love that you said willing, because that is my favorite word. And I say it almost every episode that with a willingness, so much can get done. So didn't yes. mean to interrupt. Yes, to absolutely. Yeah. I think willingness and hope, mm-hmm. you know, without, without willingness, I, I don't know how much hope there is that a couple could have a chance of healing the relationship. Both people will be learning a new language in therapy. And if one person is in therapy and the other person is not, one person is learning a new language, learning new tools, having deep insights about themselves, either the partner or the addict. And it's very hard for the other part, person in the relationship to stay connected then, right? Mm -hmm. Because they're not speaking the same language. So a couple comes in, uh, Debbie, and they present and, you know, she's, she's saying maybe, you know, I'm really hurt. He's been acting out with prostitutes. I found out that he had an affair. Um, 
he looks at pornography and hides it and lies to me. I feel like I'm losing my mind. I'm over this. I'm really hurt, but we have, you know, three kids and money is tight and I don't, and I haven't worked for 15 years and I'm scared to death and I don't know what to do. Right. Mm -hmm. So that might be, you know, something that a, that a, a partner might say to me and he's sitting there either looking angry or crestfallen or guilty or ashamed or whatever it looks like. And, um, but let's say he's saying, you know, I, I haven't wanted to hurt her. I don't know why I'm doing these things. I'm, you know, I'm willing to change. Uh, I, I just don't know if I can. And so this would be a male that isn't presenting as a narcissist, you know, mm-hmm. is presenting as somebody who is willing to use your word. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing I would say to this couple is, Number one, we need to get you in your own individual therapy. Uh, Likely, I would, first of all, um, have them in their own individual therapy. And then after they'd gotten some, um, some, you know, boots on the ground, some, some traction in their individual therapy, um, taking them through her, through her uh, trauma assessment and her biopsychosocial assessment and gotten a treatment plan for her with her own individual therapist if I wasn't working with her and him with his own individual therapist if I'm not working with him, he would go through that same assessment process and have a treatment plan in place. And they'd begin to to do their early stage therapy um, for her trauma reduction and his um, you know, sex addiction, sobriety, recovery plan. And so then we go through that process. And part of that process in the early stage is doing what's called a formal disclosure. Mm -hmm. And so we prepare the couple. It's a very complex piece of the work, Debbie. And um, there's four stages to it. And it's, I won't get into that because of time here today, but a formal disclosure is essentially preparing the addict, going through a timeline of all of his sexual behavior that would have influenced or impacted um, the relationship since the inception of the relationship. And sometimes if the partner requests it, his sexual history timeline from it first is his earliest memory and getting all of that together. And again, it's quite complex. And then the partner's therapist, whether that's me or the other therapist is working with the partner and compiling a list of her own questions. There are worksheets that they fill out, forms that they fill out and so forth. And then she puts together her list of questions that she wants answered. And then we come together and those questions would not include things that would further traumatize the spouse. So we don't include body parts or sexual positions or any of those things. Mm-hmm. We're not saying, well, you know, her breasts were this large or, you know, we were in this sexual position, but we are including things like type of act. I had unprotected sex with three prostitutes in San Francisco on a business on the four business trips that I took there between this date and this date, I had um, unprotected oral sex. They were transvestite prostitutes or transsexual prostitutes or prostitutes that I met through a strip bar located here. We went to a hotel room. Money was exchanged in this amount, mm-hmm. et cetera, and so forth. I lied to you and told you that that money was spent there for this or that. And so it's quite clinical. And then it just goes on and on. So mm-hmm. that's how... I would begin the work and eventually we bring on a couples therapist post formal disclosure because really deep therapeutic work can and healing cannot begin to happen with that couple until she has all of the information and she can decide if this is a relationship that she wants to stay in. Mm-hmm. And only with really full disclosure can that couple begin to build um, 
through that full transparency. But, you know, make no mistake about it, full disclosure and the disclosure process is a traumatic wounding of that partner, even if she knows everything. Sitting down and hearing all of that again is quite traumatic uh, for that woman and quite activating. So that's why it's very important to, in going through a formal disclosure process, um, that you are working with somebody who is well-versed in that, Debbie, a, a right. therapist who's well-versed in that. Uh, because, it, yes, from what you're saying, it's it's extremely traumatic, but there's also, you you, you finally feel that you're you're getting and hearing the truth. And you're it's, and ev- right, and everything has crashed and burned. And from that space, you can decide, do I want to rebuild? But it's, it's like you're, you're, you're seeing, you're seeing it all. And from that space, you can, you know, you can choose to rebuild from there. So Maria, I can't, I can't believe how fast the time has gone. What do you, <laughs> what do you want to make sure? I, I really want to touch on support and, and how important support is in, in healing and mm-hmm. what do you want to make sure everyone knows? So let's touch on support. And then I want to touch on what do you want to make sure everyone knows before we wrap up? Okay, sounds good. One thing I'd like to add around the formal disclosure process is in some formal disclosures, I I just have the sense that there might be um, some of the women listening today who have tuned into your wonderful show, Debbie, and might be thinking, yeah, right, my husband would lie through his teeth through formal disclosure. He's a great liar. In those cases, we can request a polygraph. So polygraph is not unusual to have that as part of the formal disclosure process. It's administered not by the therapist, by a, but by a trained polygrapher before the formal disclosure takes place, and that can be part of it after the formal disclosure as well. So I just wanted to add that little Mm, bit there too. Thank you. You're welcome. So as far as support goes, first of all, you know, anyone listening um, to our conversation today, and Debbie, thank you so much for the good work you're doing and providing this important platform. I just love um, the message that you're getting out there in the world, and I'm very grateful for that as a therapist. So, any of your listeners, um, I would just say to them, you know, reach out. You know, don't stay isolated. Um, you know, this kind of trauma thrives in secrecy and isolation, and you don't have to do this by yourself. Look for a therapist, and if you don't have a certified sex addiction therapist, somebody who's trained in this specialization, find a therapist who's willing to learn. Um, if you're nowhere, if you're not located anywhere near a therapist, maybe find a therapist in your state or your region that would work with you um, via teletherapy. That's what I do. I provide teletherapy sessions to uh, women within California because that's where I'm licensed. Um, Also, there are plenty of books out there. I I think you know, um, Debbie, that I have a book called Healing from Betrayal. It's on my uh, website. And this is First Steps for Women Who Have Just Found Out literally have just found out and have no idea what to do next. Mm -hmm. I also have another book on Amazon called Healing, um, uh, Facing Heartbreak, Mm -hmm. uh, First Steps to Healing for Partners of Sex Addicts. And that's a workbook that if you're not working with a therapist, at least you have that resource. That was based on my thesis, by the way, Debbie. So a lot of really good information there. And finally, there's a wonderful retreat that I host with another therapist uh, every other September. So it's this year, this September, the 27th through the 29th in Laguna Beach, California. And it's called the Shine Retreat for Women. And I don't know if you want me to name the website or not, but... You know what? We'll put it, sure. And we'll also put it in the show notes. So this way everybody can visit it. Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. called shineretreatforwomen.com. And um, 
it's just a really lovely healing weekend. It's not a moneymaker for my colleague and I. This is truly a labor of love to help women get their feet back on the ground. Um, we keep it small uh, and just invite 40 women to join us. I think we're, oh, I think we've got maybe 10 spots left at this point. It's quite a popular um, retreat, but it's a small retreat. It's in a beautiful location. We have yoga and we on the beach in the morning and healthy meals overlooking the ocean. And even therapists attend. We have therapists who attend the retreat and, and women who are going through betrayal or divorce, even women who have suffered some other grief and loss. But it's such a beautiful healing retreat. And the women are neat. They're just awesome. It's inclusive. No mean girls. We have workshops <laughs> and and all kinds of really fun surprises. And even a PJ, even we do a work, our first workshop on Friday night, we're in our PJs and we go mm-hmm. out to the beach and we do this whole um, healing circle. It's super fun. So yeah, I just love that. If anybody would like to join us, um, you're certainly welcome to do that. Uh, well, Mari, I want to thank you so much for everyone listening. If, if, this is what you're experiencing. There is specific, very specific help and wonderful people like Mari who are just credentialed in this very specific topic. So do not just keep this to yourself. It's wreaking havoc on your body and mind. You can heal and you can heal when there's a willingness, then the relationship can heal if you choose, but there is help. And I'm so grateful, Mari, that you just shared your expertise and uh, and just insight with with just what you've experienced, what you can help people with. And I, knew, I know you help so many people with this today. Thank you. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. And um, really, truly such an honor to be here. And I love your your encouragement to your listeners. And I just stand in support of that encouragement as well. No need to try and do this by yourself, ladies. There are plenty of resources like Debbie's podcast and the good work she's doing and the Shine Retreat and you name it out there. And oh, even... Um, even uh, 12-step groups, those are free. You know, you can go to a 12-step group for um, partners of sex addicts or, um, you know, things like of that nature. So, so many good resources out there. And again, just truly appreciate our conversation today. Thank you so much. Thank you. I just love Mari's thorough process on how to manage and heal from this type of betrayal trauma, which requires someone to rebuild their self-esteem, overcome feelings of rejection, abandonment, and so much more. Stay in touch with Mari by going to thecounselorscoach.com and we'll have all of her information in the show notes at pbtinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Here's my biggest takeaway. With hope, along with a willingness on both sides, healing is possible. I'm not saying it's easy, but with people like Mari on your support team, it's possible. Please get the support you need so you can make sense and meaning out of your experience and allow the body and mind to heal. Now, this type of trauma leaves lots of physical, mental, and emotional symptoms in its wake. So to see to what extent you're still struggling with post-betrayal syndrome, take the quiz at pbtinstitute.com forward slash quiz. And let us support you. Go to Facebook and join our group, Women Hacking Betrayal, where we give information, tools, and support to help you move forward and heal once and for all. Can't wait to be with you next time. And here's to your breakthrough.